Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a sermon from our current series, Tough Questions. When we follow Jesus as our Lord, we do so by faith, but not blind faith. So somewhere along the way, questions will arise. That's good because seeking answers will help us grow deeper in faith. Tough Questions tackles some of the difficult questions people have about Christianity. During the past several months, as we transition to live streaming our services on Sundays, we have created an online library of videos. If you're interested in listening to or watching any of our previous messages, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. However, moving forward, these messages will be available as part of our sermon podcast as well. Enjoy. We're in the middle of this series called Tough Questions, and we're glad you're here, whether you're in our campus in Granby or you're on our online campus. We're all glad that you're here. So this series, Tough Questions, uh, today we're going to look at a, a, a significantly tough question. And as we do so, let me just sort of set the stage uh, and share a story. Johnny Erickson Todd is an amazing Christian woman uh, who knows what it's like to suffer. At the age of 17, she broke her neck. She was paralyzed from the shoulders down, unable to use her arms or her uh, legs. As she recovered, uh, she began to recognize that God was calling her to be an advocate for those with disabilities. Uh, she's an author. She's written 40 books at last count. She's a musician, and she does amazing things in her ministry as a follower of Jesus. In her book, When God Weeps, she tells a story about her friend John. Wave upon wave of field daisies sway on the embankment just feet from where we sit. Pine branches bob in the wind as my hair is tossed and my spirits lift. Has a backyard ever held so much sunlight? John McAllister and I sit in our wheelchairs, rigid in the breeze. He faces the faraway mountains with a faraway look, a wool wrap tucked around his neck. He resembles a statue of someone noble or famous or a scholar meditating in his garden. I need to come here more often, I say. I love this view. I love this day. And I appreciate your friendship. Ha, he says, laying aside the compliment as a gift that he would relish later. I compare our situations. Almost three decades of paralysis have taken a toll on my frame, but a degenerative nerve disease is guilty of open extortion on his. A six foot three inch man is bent and withering in front of me. A nurse friend approaches with a syringe and a plastic container of creamy liquid. He and I keep chatting as she undoes the lower button of his shirt. His white abdomen is exposed along with a patch and a permanent feeding tube. Into the tube, she plunges lunch. He doesn't seem embarrassed, but still I cover the moment. I said, it must be hard to know when to say grace when you get fed through a tube. He nods. I think about stronger days when he was more mobile, able to volunteer at a nursing home, always looking for ways to keep active, keep serving, keep doing. The nurse unplugs the syringe and wipes his abdomen as she might with a, a mouth with a napkin. I'm glad she's tidy. John craves keeping clean. Showers are the only normal thing he has now in his life. Everything else is gone. Months pass. The air is chillier. The days shorter. John's wheelchair sits unused in the corner. He's too weak to sit in it much. His bed stands in the center of the living room. John is in it. Nighttime is no longer friendly. 
Shadows cast jerking, jagging shapes across the room. Gravity is his enemy as the weight of the air settles on his chest. Breathing is heavy labor. Calling out is impossible. He needs to call out tonight. In the darkness, an ant finds him. The scout sends for others and they come, first hundreds, then thousands. A noiseless legion inches its way down the chimney across the floor, secretly crawling up one of his tubes, up and over and onto his bed. They fan out over the hills and valleys of John's blanket, tunneling under and onto his body. He's covered by a black, wiggling invasion. I'm across the ocean in England when the message arrives at my hotel. Relaying the story, John's wife, along with the nurse, found him early in the morning with ants still in his hair and his mouth and his eyes. His skin was badly bitten and burned. Pray for him, the message says. We've never seen him so depressed. I'm not at my hotel when the message arrives. I'm speaking at a conference, conveying the plight of disabled people. I'm speaking of God's mercy and his protection over the weak and the vulnerable. I sit by the receptionist's desk and I want to read the message a second time, but I can't because I'm sick to my stomach. John is a Christian. God can see in the dark. So I want to say, why in the name of heaven has God allowed this suffering to happen? If you knew John, you'd say the same. It's not a story about torn ligaments on a football field. It's not a polite refusal letter for financial aid in a university. It's not a heartache over returned engagement reason. Uh, ring. This is crazy. This is suffering, stalking down a person and ripping into his sanity. This is affliction spinning out of control. Today we're going to look at a tough question, a tough question that's really relevant when we're living through a pandemic. The question is, why is there suffering and evil in the world? More poignantly, why does God allow suffering and evil in the world? Now look, all you have to do is go to the book of Job and you come face to face with both suffering and evil. God allows Satan to commit all kinds of evil against Job and cause him deep suffering. In an all-out assault on Job, Satan blasts him with deep and devastating suffering, taking away his wealth, his children, and his health. So why does God allow suffering and evil? Is God capricious, blessing some with joy and cursing others with suffering? Well, let's look at this problem, the problem of suffering. You know, on one level or another, all of us experience suffering or pain of one kind. But what's the cause? Well, some of our suffering comes along because of accidents. Some of our suffering comes as the result of sin, sin that we commit or sin that someone commits uh, against us. Some suffering happens for untold reasons like disease or pandemics or natural disasters. Theologians will explain that by telling us when we sin, sin came into our lives. When our original family sinned, sin came into God's perfect creation and it just destroyed the perfect order of the creation that God had made. And thus, because it's broken, there are pandemics, there are diseases, illnesses, 
and natural disasters. Now, the Bible shows that humans suffer very clearly. Uh, I've already mentioned Job, but there's another, there are other examples. There's Joseph who suffered at the hands of his jealous brothers. There is the nation of Israel who wandered for 40 years in the desert as a punishment from God. And of course, there's the life and suffering and execution of Jesus. Scripture makes it very clear that there is suffering in the world and that God knows when we suffer. While God doesn't cause suffering, God allows it. And God can use our suffering for his glory. Let's look at this. God can use pain to draw us to him. It was just over a month ago that I had a mountain bike accident. I was uh, going down a hill too fast and I went over the handlebars. I broke my left wrist. I got a bunch of road rash and cuts and bruises down my right side. And I was recovering pretty good until one of those cuts got infected. And the infection was so severe and the pain was so great that I eventually was unable to walk. And even what the doctors have done to heal it has created a very slow and painful healing process. But in the midst of that pain and suffering, I found myself drawn to God. I found myself leaning on God and praying not only for my healing and my comfort, but also for the healing of other people who I know are suffering and struggling. The Bible tells us this. It says, give all your worries and cares to God for he cares for you. Another version says, cast all your cares upon God because he cares for you. When we give our worries and our cares to God, we're leaning on him. We're drawing close to him and he will meet us there. When we do that, yes, we are acknowledging our pain and our suffering and that reality comes with a promise. Think about this. When the disciples were still reeling from the pain and fear of Jesus' death, and then the startling excitement of his resurrection, Jesus shocked them again by telling them that he was going to leave them and ascend into heaven. I'm sure that they were afraid again and somewhat confused. But before he ascended into heaven, Jesus made a promise to them, and we know it's to us too. He promised that he will be with us always to the end of time. So despite the disciples' fear and suffering, he was drawing them to him. You see, when we suffer, we have to decide, will we draw close to God or will we draw away from God? Johnny Erickson Tata writes about how we can either let our pain draw us into a shell or we can let us lean on God. In her own journey, as, as she processed the new limitations that her paralysis gave her, this is what she wrote about how her life went. She said, for years... I was eaten up by suffering. My wheelchair insisted, whined, and screamed for my undivided attention. Demoralized, I gave in. I allowed my wheelchair to define who I was. All it accomplished was a dry and brittle soul. I didn't become a bad person. I just lacked passion for life. With no spiritual energy, I spent my days in tired defeat, the day-to-day -day routine sucking me down. 
Relief was not sought in prayer or Bible study or a connection with God, but in television sitcoms and weekends at the mall. But eventually, Johnny drew near to God. We can allow God to use our suffering to draw us to him, or we can let our suffering draw us away from him. Scripture tells us to cast our cares on him who knows us and wants to be there for us. So not only can God use our suffering to help us get closer to him, God can also use our suffering to refine and reveal real faith. Look, we all know that in difficult times, what is really important to us is revealed. It comes shining through. In the midst of suffering, we cling to what will demonstrate what we believe in. I've thought about this all through this pandemic. During this pandemic, people who say they're followers of Jesus Christ are revealing to others what they really believe in. Are they leaning on God? Are they drawing close to him and those things that will further their relationship with him in the midst of this great unknown that we're going through? Or will they just begin to wander away? And stop pursuing the things that allow them to go deeper in their relationship with God. There's so many stories in scripture that show us how people have leaned on God in difficult times. And how people have also drawn away from God in difficult times. Here's one who leaned on him. When when Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery, he found himself in Egypt. And despite all of his suffering, despite the evil that was enacted on him. He chose to draw near to God, even when he was far away from his family and his friends and all that he knew and understood, even though he was being held in captivity now as a slave to others. He continued to rely on God. He continued to trust on God. He continued to lean into God and seek to do the best that he could. And he was able to rise to a high position in the household of the king of Egypt. Joseph really believed and trusted in God in the midst of his suffering, and his faith was revealed as real and true. The Apostle Paul writes how we handle our suffering shows the strength of what we believe. In the second letter to the church in Corinth, he says, We are like clay jars in which treasure is stored. The real power in us comes from God and not from us. We often suffer, but we're never crushed. Even when we don't know what to do, we never give up. In times of trouble, God is with us, and when we're knocked down, we get up again. We face death every day because of Jesus. Our bodies show what his death was like so that his life can also be seen in us. You see, pain and suffering is an opportunity for us to trust in God. And have faith. When we suffer, how we handle it, who we believe in, who we lean on, reveals what we truly believe. God can use suffering to refine us. God can also use suffering to to help us take our eyes off the things of this world and put them on what is truly important, God. Now, Scripture tells us over and over, not to focus on the things of this world. Uh, This world is not all there is. And when we suffer and life becomes limited, oftentimes we focus on the things that are not the same. Oftentimes we focus on the things that we can't do anymore or that are no longer available to us or what we don't have anymore. But 
we have a choice. We can focus on what we don't have in the things of this world. We can focus on God. We have that choice. Again, the Apostle Paul gives us perspective. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. In other words, there's something better. There's something more. Whatever we experience on this earth, there's something better yet coming. And that's a powerful scripture from a man who knew suffering at a very intimate level. Remember, he was a leader in the religion of Judaism. And he left Judaism and became a follower of Jesus. He was persecuted. He was hunted down for this. In the same second letter to the Corinthians, he tells us some of the things that he suffered, the pain that he endured. He said that he was thrown into prison several times, that he was flogged, given 39 lashes from a whip five times. He was beaten numerous times. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked. He was in constant danger and constant threats throughout his lifetime. He went without the basics of life, food, shelter, water, but he didn't give up. He didn't put his eyes on the things of this world. He kept his eyes on the good news of Jesus Christ and he continued to spread that good news. And in the midst of all this suffering and pain, he wrote over half of the books that are in our New Testament. Paul remained focused on God and what he was doing to follow God. And God used suffering in his life to allow him to take his eyes off of the things of the world and keep his focus on spreading the good news of Jesus. And we thank God for what Paul did despite his suffering. So God uses suffering to help us stay focused on him. Now listen, none of us like suffering, but we'll all experience some degree of suffering. The question is, what will we let God do through our suffering? That's the problem of suffering. Now let's talk about the problem of evil. You know, in many people's minds, they can't believe that there is a God who is real when evil is allowed to happen in the world. So to understand evil, we really need to go back to the beginning of, of the world. We need to go back to the creation. Remember when God created the heavens and the earth and the stars and the animals and humans? After everything God created, he said, it is good. He pronounced its worth and its goodness. When God created the humans, our first family, he set them in a garden and he gave them everything with one exception. He said, there's one thing that you can't have in the garden, but you can have everything else. We read about this in the second chapter of Genesis. It says, the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat it, you will certainly die. Interesting. The, the very nature of this command tells us that God created humans with the capacity to choose. Humans were created not as robots, but they were given the ability, the freedom to choose obedience or to choose disobedience. 
And God's willingness to give us that freedom then allows for the possibility that we could choose one way or the other. And that reality leads to the possibility of evil coming into this world. And we know that our first family chose to disobey. And we know that sin in any amount, great or small, in God's eyes is evil. Throughout Scripture, we see that the problem of evil is acknowledged. While God does not create evil, he allows for it. Evil is always the result of sinful choices, the sinful choices of humans. We see this in the sinful actions like murder, violence, abuse, betrayal, and more. And we see this in the sinful thoughts like racism and gossip and selfishness and other things. Scripture also shows us that while God allows evil, he opposes evil. Staying in the book of Genesis, in the sixth chapter, we read this. The Lord God saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created and with them the animals and the birds and the creatures that move along it, for I regret that I have made them. And then there's this one verse, verse 8. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So what we have here is the beginning of the story of that great flood. We see that God has become disgusted with the evilness of the human race. And so he's decided that he's going to wipe them out, except there's one man who's righteous, one man who's not living in an evil way. And he decides to save him and his family so that they can repopulate the earth. And so the flood comes in. The human race is wiped out, except for the family of Noah. The flood is, goes away. And then God says, you know what? I'm not going to do that again. In the eighth chapter of Genesis, we read this. Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. And God makes a promise a promise to never wipe out the human race again. Basically, to deal with us and our evilness. And he gives us a, a sign, a reminder of this promise. It's the rainbow, one we see whenever, uh, oftentimes after it rains. But not only does God oppose evil, he doesn't just allow it just to stay out there. God actually gives an opportunity to resolve evil. In the book of Colossians, we read this. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical death, physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. So God resolves the issue of sin and evilness in our lives. He gives us Jesus, who will pay the price for our sins and the evil things that we do so that we can be made right with God. We all need to take note that sin, any sin, is evil against God. But through Jesus, the penalty for our sins have been paid. So Jesus is God's solution. The solution for both suffering and for evil Jesus suffered and died at the hands of evil people so that we could have the forgiveness of our evil sins and the promise of eternal life 
and the presence of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives. In the book of Hebrews, we read this. While Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. Even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. In this way, God qualified him as a perfect high priest, and he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who would obey him. Jesus paid for our sins. The sinless son took the sins of the world on himself and offered salvation to whoever would accept him and believe in him. Maybe I can illustrate this with a story. John Lennox is an author and a professor at mathematics at Oxford University. And he tells a story about when he was touring Eastern Europe and he met a Jewish woman. The woman told Lennox that she was on a trip to research how her relatives had perished during the Holocaust. At one point on the guided tour, they passed a display of the main gate of the Nazi death camp at Auschwitz. The display there also had pictures of the horrific medical experience, experiments carried out on children by the infamous evil Dr. Joseph Mengele. At that point of their tour, the Jewish woman turned to Lennox and said, what does your religion make of this? Lennox writes, what was I to say? She had lost her parents and many relatives in the Holocaust. I could scarcely bear to look at the mingle of photographs because of the sheer horror of imagining my children suffering such a fate. I had nothing in my life that remotely paralleled the horror her family had endured. But still, she stood there waiting for an answer. So I said, I would not want to insult your memory of your parents by offering you a simplistic answer to this question. What's more, I have young children and I can't bear to think how I might act if, anyone, if anything were to happen to them like this. I have no easy answers, but I do have what for me is at least a doorway into an answer. What is it, she asked. Using the, the Hebrew pronunciation for Jesus' name, Lennox said, you know that I am a Christian. That means I believe in Yeshua is the Messiah. I also believe that he was God incarnate, come into the world as the Savior, which is what Yeshua means. Now, I know that this is even more difficult for you, except nonetheless, just think about this question. If Yeshua was really God, as I believe he was, what was God doing on a cross? Could it be that God begins just here to meet our heartbreaks by demonstrating that he did not remain distant from human suffering, but became part of it himself? For me, this is the beginning of hope. And this is a living hope that cannot be smashed by the enemy of death. The story does not end in the darkness of the cross. Yeshua conquered death. He rose from the dead. And one day as the final judge, he will assess everything in absolute fairness, righteousness, and mercy. There was silence. Still standing in the doorway after a moment with tears coming down her eyes, she said, Why? Why has no one ever told me about my Messiah before? 
the answer to the problem of suffering and the problem of evil is that God loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus into this world to die, to pay for the price that our sins have created this evil in the world and others, but also to walk with us in this suffering. Jesus said, in this world we will have trouble, but I've overcome the world. So he's overcome the world for us. And once we believe in him, we receive the promise of eternal life that, that our deaths on this earth, our physical deaths will not be the end of us. But at the same time, he promised the Holy Spirit of God to be with us, to never leave us or forsake us and to walk with us. And his desire is that we lean into him and grow deeper in that relationship while we live on this earth and where we will spend eternity with him. We have this promise from Scripture. When we face suffering and when we face evil, it says this, no test or temptation that comes your way is beyond the curse, the course of what others have had to face. All you need to remember is that God will never let you down. He'll never let you be pushed beyond your limit. He'll always be there to help you come through it. The problem of evil and the problem of suffering is resolved in the fact that God is with us. He sent Jesus to live on this earth and experience the suffering and evil that we do, but to overcome it. He sent Jesus on this earth to say, I can give you the promise of eternity. And through the power of my spirit, I will walk with you on this earth. But we have a choice to decide to lean into that truth or not. We have a choice to decide to believe in him and walk with him each and every day. So I want to close in prayer this morning and, and give you the opportunity to, to lean into Jesus and ask him with whatever you're going through to be with you. And if you've never told him you believe in him, this is your opportunity to tell him this morning. And wherever you are, you can just pray a silent prayer that I'll give you in just a moment. So if you would, just bow your heads and let's pray. God, we thank you that you know the reality of suffering and evil. You know that it's real. You know that we experience. You know that it weighs on us. You know that it tears us down. But you have promised that you have overcome the world. You have promised to be with us, to never leave us, to never forsake us. And you've given us your spirit to give us strength when we are weak. And you've given us the promise of eternity where there will be no more tears, no more death. So thank you and help us lean into that. And for anybody who's never told Jesus they believe in him and want to follow him, the one who gives them the promise of eternal life and walks with them on this earth, you can do that right now. Wherever you are, just pray these words back to him in your own way, just silently. Here's the first phrase. Dear God, I believe in Jesus. I believe that Jesus died to pay for my sins. And I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And now I want to follow him all the days of my life. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.